Welcome and thanks for joining us here at the Bethel Church Podcast. For more information about Bethel and who we are, you can visit us online at BethelChurch.info. We hope you are encouraged and that you find hope in today's message. Genesis chapter 29, verse 31. I love you guys. Um, We are jumping back into our This is the Bible series And it is a verse-by-verse chronological series, and it is going to take us about two to three to ten years to get through it. Um, So you're going to need to stay in the church long enough, and we'll eventually walk you through the whole Bible. There's a couple reasons we want to do this. The first reason is this. I hear it all the time, and I'm so glad you're honest with us. You say, I don't read my Bible because it's boring. Anybody feel that way sometimes? Be honest. Okay. But the reason why we we find the Bible boring is the same reason why when you walk into a movie an hour late, it's hard to get into it. You don't know the plot. You don't know how it started. You don't know where it's going. You're just utterly confused. There are some things that are interesting, but it's kind of like, I don't really know what's going on. So that's one of the reasons we're going through the totality of scripture over the next, like I said, three, four, five, six, 10 years. Second reason is this. There's nothing special about me other than the same thing that is special about you. You can study your Bible just as good as I can. And you open it up and you just go word by word, verse by verse, and you start digging it out. All right, so here we go. Genesis 29. Now, for those of you who have not been a part of this, you can go back and watch and read articles and all this stuff. I'll bring you up to speed. God created the heaven and the earth, and then we screwed it up. Here we are, Genesis 29. That's pretty much it, y'all. It sums it up. Then Jesus came, and he fixed it, and we are just holding on to the hem of his garment. That is the Bible in a nutshell. But at this point, right before Genesis 29, Jacob, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob has met this girl named Rachel, and he's like, Dad, girl, let me get your number. And he gets her number, and he tries to marry her, but her dad tricks him, and he ends up marrying his sister Leah. Now, some of you, that's ridiculous. There's no way you could accidentally marry somebody. In that culture, it's really possible. Don't have time. See that timer back there? Look at it. They're telling me I have 27 and a half minutes left to preach. It's ridiculous. All right, now... So, so he accidentally marries Leah after he had worked for seven years for Rachel. And then he's like, you know what? I really want a Rachel. So he works seven more years. And now we've got Jacob and he is married to Rachel and Leah. And here we are. Verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. In other words, Jacob didn't even like Leah. It wasn't that like he was so, he hated Leah. Why? Because he had bitterness in his heart that her dad had tricked him. He was like, why did you have to do like, So he hates Leah. He loves Rachel. And because the Lord saw that Leah was hated, the Bible says God opens her womb. One of the most beautiful things happens at the very beginning of this. Four words. When the Lord saw. He sees you, he hears you, he sees your pain, he sees your hurt, he sees 
your wounds, God saw Leah and he opened her womb. So we have three characters. Leah, who was unloved but fruitful. Rachel, who was loved but barren. And then we have Jacob, who was learning quickly that he cannot control everything. That he will not always get his way and he's learning the principle of sowing and reaping the hard way. Now keep in mind, Jacob did not want Leah. He wanted Rachel. And you'll have to go back even further to see the significance in this Jerry Springer-ish ordeal that we've got going on that has now resulted in one of the first love triangles. Verse 32. And Leah conceived and bore a son and she called his name. Say it again. Okay, I need to just let the cat out of the bag real fast. Two things. This is not like one of those passages that we're gonna read and you're gonna, while we're reading the passage, you're gonna feel great about yourself. When we get to the end, we'll shine some light and some hope. But this is a really dark passage to show you the depths of the power of sin. Okay, so look at this. Leah, she has a son. His name is Reuben. And she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Nothing wrong with Reuben's name. It's a great name. Behold, a son. But look at why she names him Behold a Son. She says, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction and now that I've given my husband what he wants, now my husband will love me. In other words, she's saying this, look, look, look at me. Look at me, Jacob. I can, I can give you what Rachel can't. Look at me. Guys, any love that has to be earned is not love. I see the light bulbs going off in all of your minds right now. You're having moral conundrums. You're like, Pastor Daniel, polygamy? Envy? Straight up meanness? Like, God is saying this is okay? Eh. Remember the difference between prescriptive and descriptive? I remember we've been talking about this a lot because, because the children's versions of these stories, man, they write it something, it looks more like this. It's like there was this guy, Jacob, and he was awesome. And he got married twice. And God thought it was great. And he blessed him. No. Polygamy was never okayed by God. So all you guys better be saying amen right now. So y'all missed a good chance. All right. It was, it's, God, the Bible, Moses is describing what happened. The, God is not prescribing this. And you can go back through scripture and you'll see that it was never God's best for us. All right, verse 33. She conceived again. Who's she? Good, y'all are doing great. And bore a son, your theologians. And she said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And Simeon's name literally means heard. She names her first son, look at me. She names her second son, please hear me. She expresses 
two hurts that many of us experience. We just want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want our life to be witnessed by someone else on this earth that sees us, that hears us, that just gets us all of our quirks, all of our weird opinions, and hunkerings for dark chocolate chips and crunchy peanut butter. Don't bring me that creamy mess. I see some of y'all shaking. We will, we will church split right now. If you start telling me you like creamy peanut butter. Gary, I love you, man, but are you a creamy guy? His grace is sufficient for you. His grace. <laughs> I better stop with Gary because he'll come back at me. He's not a back down type guy. I have the microphone though. All right, here we go. <laughs> we learn a valuable lesson here, everybody. Children do not heal our wounds. Can I just be real with you? I know if you're trying, and I, I warned the first service, this message is, I think the enemy could use it to trigger, but I would ask you that when the enemy starts spewing his lies at you and you feel something being triggered inside of you, to just remember his grace is sufficient and there's gonna be hope at the end of this message, I promise. I won't end it in a dark way. Okay, but what we see here is Leah, she's saying, look at me. She's saying, hear me. We're learning that children don't heal wounds. In fact, just being real with you, they often ex exacerbate our wounds because kids cannot give us what only Jesus can. Verse 34, again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time, now, look at that. Now, now, now this time, my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi, which means joined to. Her first son, she's screaming, I want to be seen. Her second son, she's screaming, I want to be heard. Her third son, she is screaming, please don't leave me. Wants to be seen, wants to be heard, wants to feel security. Now, men, this message is for all of us. But you can learn, we, Daniel, can learn much about this passage. Verse 35, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Go, Leah. I see you. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped having children. Judah's name literally means praised. I wish the Bible would kind of, I, I mean, I guess who am I to challenge, but I wish the Bible would have told us more about what happened. Like what happened between look at me, hear me, need me, God be praised. But something happened. Something happened in Leah's life where she realized that those babies were not gonna fill God-shaped voids in her life. 
And she just said, God be praised. Now I'm not trying to be cute and I'm not trying to be churchy and I'm not trying to quote every song that's ever been written that we sing, but there is power in our praise. It's why scripture teaches us that we can praise our way out of it. It's why scripture teaches us that we can praise our way into the presence of God. It's why scripture teaches us that we can praise the walls down, that we can praise anxiety away. I challenge some of you to get you a go-to jam. Get you a go-to jam that you can access real quick. And the next time you start to feel anxious, the next time you start to feel overwhelmed, somebody better say amen. Amen. You pull out your jam. This is mine. Can y'all hear it? That's my jam. Come and quench this thirsty my soul. of heaven. It's 12 minutes long. I'll listen to the whole thing. You better watch out. <laughs> but man, when I'm, when I'm struggling, you can ask our staff. I'll, I'll be, I'll, I don't even care who's in the office. Alexa, play Worship Medley by Carlton D. Pearson. Fill my cup, Lord. Alexa, loop mode. I lift it up, Lord. Alexa, level 10. <laughs> I heard somebody in the office the other day they, they looked at Lauren they're Lauren does he do this all the time she said all the time <laughs> yes now look I won't even be able to preach if you play this song much longer and I got like eight more kids to go through okay <laughs> this is like Bebe's kids meets Jerry Springer <laughs> okay praise there's power in our there's power in our, in even men. Let me tell you this. This is why you should open your mouth and sing in church. It's not man-made tradition. And it's the most manly thing you could do. Because before the dudes with the swords and the spears and the shields and the catapults showed up in the Old Testament, they sent the praisers ahead. Because real stuff happens when we praise. Chapter 30, verse one. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister and she told Jacob, give me babies or give me death. And Jacob, his husbanding wasn't real good, Kevin. The Bible says his anger kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld you from the fruit of the womb. In other words, girl, I'm doing my part. And he gets mad. Now, it's real easy to look at Jacob and say, jerk, your wife felt 
honest enough to share her feelings with you and then you got angry about them. But don't miss what's happening here. Rachel is not the only hurt person in this story. Jacob is a very hurt man. He has been tricked and deceived and he cannot have children with the love of his life. And as twisted and as sick as this whole story is, Jacob is also hurting. Look, church, listen to me really quick. Many times when we are hurting the most, we act in the most reprehensible of ways. Some of you are dying for somebody to be a good Samaritan to you and to come pour wine into your wounds and to lather it up with oil and make you feel better. But every time somebody gets close, the teeth come out. Why? Well, in prayer ministry, we call it a bitter root expectation. You're expecting that they're going to let you down and hurt you like everyone else has hurt you. So you sabotage the relationship before they even have the chance to get close enough to put oil into your wounds. That's why they say hurt people. This could have been something that they built their relationship on, but instead it became something that caused them to drift apart. And you see that in verse three. Rachel, underneath pressure, to give Jacob children. She says, here's my servant. Here's my servant. Aren't we, we're doing this together, right? Okay, I'm, I'm not by myself. Somebody said, your big head's in the way. Your big head's covering Bilhah, bro. That's seven and three quarter. Tank. Here's my servant Bilhah, go into her. And that means what you think it means. She said, have sex with my servant Bilhah so that she may give birth on my behalf, e- that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. There was an ancient practice of having children through your servant and through your slave. You should study it out. It's extremely interesting and very weird, actually. Like, when you really dig it out, go dig it out, rather than watch Netflix today. It'll be very interesting. So once again, this is not prescriptive, it's what? And once again, our children's books prove to be borderline lies. There ain't no heroes in the Bible except Jesus. Jacob was a deceiver, a usurper, a heel grabber, and God still uses him. At this point, we would name this sermon... Two wives and a side chick. (laughs) Verse five. And I'm not trying to make light of all the craziness. I guess if we don't laugh, we would probably cry. Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. So she called his name Dan, which means judgment. But this was not like in the sense of like, only God can judge me, judge. What she was saying was that God has looked down on me. He sees how sad I am. And God has honored me for letting my husband sleep with my servant. 
That's what she's saying. These poor kids. And by the way, these are the kids that grow up and sell their brother into slavery. These are the kids that grow up and go back and tell Jacob, hey, your favorite son has been murdered by animals. And they go as far to put blood on his jacket. Are the, the dots connecting? It's a sad reality that our children will suffer from the sins that we f- refuse to acknowledge in our lives. Parents, we have to hold responsibility in one hand and hope in the other. Responsibility that what we do and what we say in our homes will affect our kids. But hope, hope in knowing that we won't be perfect and this is why Jesus came. And he can take the craziest of circumstances and he can raise up an entire nation. And if he can raise up an entire nation from which everyone on earth would be blessed, to be sure, he can take our jacked up, messed up houses and raise up kids and redeem them and use them and have destiny for them and have purpose for them. No, you are not messing up your kids. You can't, they're his. Yet, we still look in the mirror and say, I have responsibility in this. Verse seven, Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Y'all can imagine Naphtali, first day of school and the teacher's like, um, is a, Mr. Wrestler, are you here? And he's like, good job, Ma. I mean, how many of you dudes would love for your name to mean wrestling? Terry, come on. We got another one? Could, could there be? Hey, if y'all have another baby. <laughs> she says, shut up. You are the, the devil is a lie. We're going to name him Naftali, all right? But listen to this. She says, she names him wrestling. So what might have been unspoken now becomes spoken. In other words, when she names this baby, she looks over at Leah and she's like, oh yeah, it's a competition. And then she says something. She says, because I have prevailed. Now, Rachel might have been the prettiest, but she won't the smartest. (laughs) Because she's talking about, I'm winning the contest, but if we're keeping score, it's four to two. Am I right? So what's she prevailing over? It's really sad. She's not celebrating that she's had a child. She's celebrating that Leah has gone barren. We're mean. We say mean things when we get upset. We do mean things when we get upset. We'll take someone's weaknesses and we'll throw it in their face in a skinny minute to get what we want. 
Verse nine. I told you it wasn't gonna be a pretty message. I warned you. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she was like, if Rachel did it, I can do it too. So she takes her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son and Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. No, Leah, you were doing so good. You named your last baby. Praise. What happened? Well, when... When Rachel's diss track came out, Leah was like, okay, I'm back in the game. All right? And she is literally, again, using her child as a pawn. She's saying, look, I gave my servant, and now the Lord has caused good fortune to come upon me. It, 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 gets, it gets uglier. Is everybody good so far? Okay, good. I don't know why I asked that because I'm going to keep going. Verse 12, Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son and Leah said, happy am I for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. Asher means happy, but if you look at this again, yet she's not saying I'm happy because God has given me a child. She's saying I'm happy because other people are looking at me. And in the KJV, it says because other women have called me blessed. So she's getting some attention from the outside. They're like, Leah, you're up. You're winning the game. You're winning the competition. So she's like, well, you know what? Since everybody thinks that I'm blessed, I'm happy and I'll name him happy. Verse 14, in the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found, no, it's not a duck. I know some of y'all, you're like, got a mandrake, they hunted in the Bible. No, mandrakes, before I keep going, translate into the Hebrew like this, love apples. It was a plant that had a root that looked like a human being standing like this. And it was like an aphrodisiac meets fertility medication. In other words, if you had mandrakes and you walked up into the place with style and grace, it was, you were saying, I want to have sex. I can have babies. Let's go right now. These mandrakes, if you really like dig into them, and it just, it, guys, it keeps getting darker and darker and darker. It was really a form of sympathetic witchcraft. Because the root looked like a man, they believed in pagan-like tradition and in witchcraft that if you ate something that looked like a man, it would cause you to be able to give birth to a man. All through this passage, It's not just polygamy. It's not just manipulation. They're straight up witchcraft. So, Reuben has these love apples, comes home, gives them to his mama. Rachel sees them and she's like, goes to Leah and she says, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. And Leah said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? And now you're trying to get my mandrakes. Get your hands off my mandrakes. Rachel said, 
then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. You guys remember how we talk about when you're studying your Bible, don't be afraid to ask questions of the Bible. Write them out in the margin. You should write one right here. And the question should be this. How come Rachel gets to decide who Jacob has sex with? Manipulation. She's done something to Jacob to get him under some kind of spell to the point of where she could literally go to him and say, go have sex with a woman that you hadn't had sex with in years. I traded your sex for love apples. Well, when Jacob came home from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. And Jacob didn't argue. So he laid with her that night and God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar, which means reward. It just, it gets sicker and sicker and sicker. She is literally looking at this baby and saying, this is the reward for me allowing my husband to have sex with my servant. And she even slaps a little bit of religious dramatic flair on it to make it look better, justifying the means with the end. Pastor Daniel, I got up and drove to church in the rain to hear this. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. And no, that's not where the mudcats play. This is a different Zebulun. She says, now my husband will honor me. Unfortunately, this never leaves the family. Making people earn love, making people jump through hoops just to be loved by them, picking favorites. She says, now that I've given him a bunch of babies, now, now I've done enough to earn his love. And then a very sad verse, verse 21. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Donna. It's like, we had a girl, whatever. Girls, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. You have value just as much as them boys walking around. The next time we see Dinah in scripture, it's pretty horrific what happens. It's terrible. We'll get there. Verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, which means Jehovah has added. But look at why she calls him Joseph. She says, because I want the Lord to give me another son. Little dude's coming out of the birth canal and rather than celebrating the present, she's already skimming over the beautiful blessing of another child and saying, I want God to give me another one. And that concludes the message.
even in the middle of all this craziness, do you think back to how many times we see that phrase, then God remembered, then God heard, then God saw, then God looked down upon. Some of you were fed a lie that said God only sees, he only hears, and he only looks down upon you when you're doing the right thing. Can I tell you something? He ain't never quit looking. He's never quit coming after you. In fact, so much that goodness and mercy are chasing you down even when you're running the opposite direction. All of this longing for more. All of this longing for a child that they thought would fix and mend all their heartache. And we see a real desire that every one of us still have today to be seen, to be heard, and to be unconditionally loved. Listen, Leah couldn't find it in Jacob. Rachel could not find it in children. And Jacob could not find it in a successful business, in great wealth, in multiple marriages, in extracurricular sexual partners. Why? Because we were designed for more. We were created for more. We were made for a relationship with God. We were made for worship. So much that you are going to worship something. It's not a matter of are you a worshiper or not. It really is a matter of what are you worshiping? Because we're all worshiping something. And what we do is we do what, 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 what Issachar's mom did. Sometimes we take things that are clearly not of God and are clearly wrong and we slap a little religious flair on them. We start worshiping good things like family. We start worshiping good things like children. We even start worshiping our marriages. Heck, I'll take it a step further. Some of us are worshiping our church. And they're all good things. But when you demand that good things give you God things, you always come up empty. And that's why you can have the best marriage in the world, the most beautiful kids, a successful business owner. You could go to a church where the pastor straight up drops truth bombs every single Sunday and the worship team literally opens up the ceilings and the Shekinah glory of God's presence just drops. And you could still sit here like an old mule looking at a new gate like you swallowed a yardstick and can't move nothing but your eyeballs. Ticked off, peed off at everybody. Why? Because good things don't do God things. This is why Jesus came. 
plain and simple. Jesus would be to the Leah's what Jacob could never be. Jesus would give to Rachel what children could never give her. And Jesus would fulfill that insatiable appetite to control and to succeed in the Jacobs in a way that success, business, wealth, sex, power can never fulfill. This, I'm going to say it, is the Bible. Every word on every page whispers the name Jesus. He was the animal skins in the garden, but he was a permanent covering. He was the ark of delivery, but he was big enough that everybody that wants to get on can get on. He was the promised son. He's going to be the sacrifice in exchange for us. He's our great intercessor. Come on, you better stand on your feet real quick right now. Every word on every page. You see, the Old Testament heroes were not really heroes at all. They were human beings just like you and me. They were broken. They were messed up. They were jacked up. They had families that were not perfect, but yet God, yet God sins Jesus to do what Jacob couldn't do, to do what a drunken, naked Noah couldn't do, to do and be obedient like Jonah couldn't be obedient, to do what Abraham couldn't do, to do what Isaac couldn't do, to do what Rachel and Leah couldn't do. This is why we needed a savior, not a politician, not a philanthropist. We needed a straight up savior. Why did we need a savior? Because we needed to be saved. We didn't need to be made better. We needed to be rescued. We didn't need to have a few things tweaked. The old us needed to die and an old new one come up to life. This is why Jesus came. So if you roll up in here week in and week out and you feel broken, welcome to the story. That's why Jesus came. The Bible says this, you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Leave your Sunday school attendance in your seat. Don't come to this altar with your works. I don't want to see your giving record. I don't care if you tithe 0% or 11%. Leave it in your seat. Don't bring it to the altar. We don't earn our salvation, y'all. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that God raised him. The Bible says you will be saved. He that knew no sin became sin so that in him we can be called the righteousness of God in Jesus. Confession, belief. You're here this morning. You have never confessed Christ as Lord. You are not saved and you feel the Spirit of God drawing you to salvation, I'm telling you, don't waste that feeling. Don't waste it. It won't always be there. 
You can't control when it comes. You can't control when he's deposited a small amount of faith enough for you to believe. It's a trickle down from the pipeline of grace right now. You'd say, that's me. I need to confess him right now. Lift up your hand and say, that's me. I'm not saying, get your hand up high. I see you. Yes, I got you. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Anybody else? Come on. All right, I want to be real careful here. In a minute, I'm going to call a lot of you down to the altar. But... You don't come to this altar to be saved. Right now, you just raise your hand. I want you to just pray with me. I confess that Jesus is God's son. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's thank God right now. Now. If you enjoyed today's message, we want to encourage you to join our Facebook online community. Search for Bethel Church online for more great content from our pastors and leaders here at Bethel. Join us next week for another inspiring message.